Do you have questions about life and faith and God that remain unanswered? Do you feel like the Christian cliches are shallow and don't really get to the truth? Is this whole Christian thing rather uncertain for you? And, and does that uncertainty exclude you from true spirituality? My name is Skip Collins, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to explore concepts of life and faith and the Bible and Christianity. We'll challenge our traditional views and ideas, which at times will probably make us a little uncomfortable, but hopefully we'll come out on the other side more connected to our faith, to God, and to what we believe. So let's jump in to deeply spiritual, but rather uncertain. Hello, podcast world. Welcome. This is episode nine, and we are talking about the Bible. If you've listened to all previous eight episodes, then you deserve a medal. Thank you very much. But if this is your first one, I am so glad that you have joined us here. Last week, we spoke about the expectations that we often have of the Bible. We expect it to be without error. We expect it to answer every question we have, or we expect it to be our owner's manual. And if those are our expectations, we will most likely be disappointed and confused somewhere along the way. This week, I want to put two things out there for us to grapple with. The first is the Bible inspired? And if it is, what the heck does that actually mean? Then secondly, I have heard this phrase all my life, the authority of Scripture. So does this book have some kind of authority on my life and in the world? And if so, what does that look like? But let me preface this conversation by saying that I'm not going to say everything there is to say on this subject by a long shot. Volumes have been written around these two issues, and so to say we are only going to scratch the surface, even that is an understatement. The reality is that this is just my journey through some of my own uncertainty on this subject. So let's start with this idea of inspiration. Is the Bible inspired by God? I know very few people that would self-identify as Christian that would answer that question with a flat-out no. I think most people would say the Bible is inspired in some way, shape, or form, even if they're not sure what that shape or form looks like. And many would point to two verses that are the quote-unquote proof text around inspiration. Just on a side note, I am not at all a fan of proof texting. It is usually very unhelpful. See, the problem is you can actually proof text pretty much anything from slavery to the mistreatment of women to apartheid to righteous wars, and on and on and on. But I won't go down that rabbit hole right now, maybe a little bit later. 
But what's interesting is that we base this entire idea of inspiration of Scripture on two main verses in the whole of the Bible. But here they are. The first one is from 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter writes these words, First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The second one is found in 2 Timothy 3.16, and this is the real kicker verse. The Apostle Paul writes these words, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You may say, no, no, there's a lot more passages than that. And there are verses that say that the law of God is perfect, or there are passages that say this is what God says. But these are the two main verses, certainly in the New Testament. And in the second Timothy passage is the only one that actually uses the word inspired. But with that said, there's not a lot of argument around these two verses. The question becomes, what does inspired actually mean? I've heard people say it means God wrote the book. Often we use this phrase, the Word of God, meaning that these are the actual words of God. But is that what inspired means? On one end of the spectrum, some would say it means that God actually dictated every word, word for word. Now, the truth is there are not a lot of people that would hold that view, but there are some. They would say that the people that wrote were, in a sense, taken control of by the Holy Spirit, and they had no control over what they were writing. And you could actually use that Second Peter passage that I read earlier as a proof text for this dictation theory. It kind of sounds like that is what Peter is saying. On the other end of the spectrum is the idea that the Bible was written by human beings, and there is nothing inspired about it. The Bible is not actually the Word or the words of God. Rather, the Bible points you to the Word, which is Jesus. They would say the Word of God is not the Bible. The Word of God is Jesus. And they would point to the first verses in the book of John. This view is sometimes called the neo-Orthodox view of inspiration. In between those two extremes, there are all kinds of variations. One of those variations is called limited inspiration. It says that some of the Bible is inspired, but not all of it. Most people of this persuasion would say that in areas of science or history, the writers wrote as they saw things, as they understood things. And so because of that, there might be errors and contradictions. But the Holy Spirit made sure that there was no error or contradiction when it came to doctrine. Hmm, that seems to be a problem 
when it comes to baptism, for instance. Infant baptism or believer's baptism? That doesn't seem to be too clear. Or how about communion? The East Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church would say that the doctrine of transubstantiation is pretty clear when Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood. We Protestants would disagree with that. We see the bread and the wine as symbols of what Christ has done. Both sides would make a biblical argument for their case. I don't see much clarity around doctrine as some would hope there is. The view that is probably the most agreed upon, in evangelical circles anyway, is called plenary verbal inspiration. Plenary means full or complete, and verbal means the very words of Scripture. They would say that this is not just the ideas or thoughts that are inspired, but every word that is inspired. They would add quickly that it's every word in the original language, which of course leaves all kinds of room for interpretation. And that interpretation actually becomes inaccessible for those of us that don't speak ancient Hebrew or first century Greek. It's also within this idea of plenary verbal inspiration that opens up the door for proof texting. Now, here's what I mean when I use this phrase, proof texting. It's, it's when you try to prove a theological position or a doctrinal point by pulling out a verse from the Bible, um, out of the text that may even be out of the context, but, but by itself, it proves your point. Often these verses are taken totally out of context, and the passage that they exist in isn't even considered, but on their own, they prove your point very well. If your view of inspiration is that every word is inspired, then proof texting doesn't seem to really be a problem. In fact, it makes perfect sense. If every word is inspired by God, then the context of it all is not as important. There have been times I've had discussions with people who have disagreed with me on a theological point or a doctrinal issue, and later on they cut and paste a whole bunch of proof text verses and send them to me. If you're going to use a verse to prove your point, then you're going to have to be willing to do the work to unpack the verse in the original language as well as the context and see if it is in fact saying what you want it to say. Oftentimes when we do that, we find our argument isn't as rock-solid as we thought it was. So you can see that our view of what inspired means is really all over the place, and it's not easy to get your head around it all. There's a lot of views on this subject. For a number of years, I've been deconstructing what I believe about the Bible, and deconstructing is a good and necessary thing at times, but reconstructing, 
when you actually decide what you do believe is super important as well. So let me share a bit of where I have landed on this. And just as a reminder, you don't have to land where I land. My goal is not to get you to think like I think. My goal is to get you to think. If I have challenged you to think through what and why you believe, then I am happy. So I love the verse in 2 Timothy that we quoted earlier. That starts by saying, all scripture is inspired by God. But let's unpack it for a little bit. First of all, nobody has a clue of what Paul means by all scripture. Of course, we look at it and we assume that he's talking about the canon of scripture that we have today. But that canon was only decided on more than 300 years later. Was Paul talking about his own writings or the writings of Peter or James? I mean, the Gospels hadn't even been written yet when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. Was he speaking about what we now call the Old Testament or just the law or just the prophets? Let's at least be honest here and say we don't know for sure. We can only speculate what Paul meant when he wrote all scripture. So that's the first problem that we have with this verse. But for the sake of argument, let's assume that this verse is kind of prophetic and it's speaking to the entire canon of Scripture as we know it today. And Paul calls it God-breathed. That's the literal interpretation of the Hebrew word that is translated as inspired. What Paul says is all Scripture is God-breathed. So what does that mean? Again, Paul doesn't explain what he means by it. And so we can only speculate. Modern evangelicalism has interpreted God breathed as if God spoke every word. God breathed it out. I think that what can be very helpful in this situation is to first of all understand that when Paul speaks of God breathed, he is speaking in a metaphor. God didn't actually literally breathe and boom, there's the Bible. It is as if God breathed it out. And if you read on the passage, that is why it's so useful for correction and teaching and training, because it's as if God breathed his life into it. See, when God breathes in the Bible, it is always a picture, a metaphor of life. God breathes life. The first time we see God breathing life is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. It's this picture of a man that already exists in form, but not having life. And then God breathes life into that which was lifeless. It doesn't mean that God literally leaned down and put his mouth over Adam's nose and blew into it. But rather, it's a metaphor. It's a beautiful picture of God breathing life into that which has no life. In Ezekiel, there's this very cool story. I want to read part of it to you. It's a little lengthy, so hang in with me. Maybe a little bit of music will help. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he sat me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these dry bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them, and the flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he convinced me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet in a vast multitude. So you have this amazing picture of a valley that has nothing but death. But the breath of God, the wind of God brings life and wholeness. You could say this this valley was God-breathed. Even the Hebrew word for spirit is the word ruach, which means breath. The spirit of God bringing life. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Now let's carry that metaphor of the breath of God and bring that into this passage in 2 Timothy 3.16. Could it be possible that God has taken these imperfect stories and poems and letters 
that were written by broken and sometimes misguided people, and he has breathed life into them so that they are good for instruction and correction and teaching. When I read the Bible, I see God doing exactly that over and over and over again. He takes a brash, overconfident fisherman by the name of Peter, who really doesn't get it at times, who denies Jesus even after Jesus told him he would, but he breathes life into Peter through the Holy Spirit, and Peter becomes one of the most amazing voices in the early church. He takes a pious, arrogant Pharisee by the name of Saul, and he breathes life into him. And so Saul goes on to become Paul and travels the world planting churches and then writing letters that make up two-thirds of our New Testament. See, that is what God does. He takes what is imperfect, what is broken, what is lifeless, and he breathes life into it. Do I believe that the Bible is God-breathed? Absolutely, I do. But I don't think that that means that every word in it is exactly what God intended. I believe that God is taking the writings of imperfect, broken, and sometimes lifeless people and breathe life into those words. When I read these ancient stories and poems and letters, as imperfect as they might be, they breathe God's life into me. So then, that begs the question, is the Bible authoritative? In other words, do I have to do what it says? Let me say right off the bat, I'm not a fan of the word authority when we're talking about the Bible. Because as soon as we say the Bible is our authority, it's making it into a rule book again, which if you listen to the last episode, you know I don't agree with at all. If you look up the word authority in the dictionary, you see that it means this. The power to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Authority is about power and control. Way too often, the church has used this idea of authority of Scripture to control people and make sure they behave in the way that we want them to behave. I've been a church leader for years, and I promise you, it is much easier to get people to do what you want them to by preaching a message that says, we believe in the authority of Scripture, the Bible says it, you must do it. But here's where the control comes in. I will tell you how to interpret the Bible so that you know what to do. I'm sorry, but authority of Scripture has been used to control people throughout church history. Now, before I sound too cynical, some of those things could be good and healthy. So, for example, if I stand and say, the Bible says don't cheat on your spouse, that's probably a good thing. Or if I say, the Bible says don't do drugs, 
even though it doesn't actually say that, is that a bad thing? I'm trying to keep you from hurting yourself. But you and I both have heard some horrible things that follow the words the Word of God says. Things that are controlling and manipulative. And it's all under this banner of authority of Scripture. So here's what I would say. My authority is not found in Scripture. Yep, that's what I said. My authority is not found in Scripture. My authority is found in God. My authority is not the Bible says. My authority is God. Show me one place in the Bible where it says that the final authority of all things is in Scripture. Yeah, there are Old Testament scriptures that say, follow the law and do what it says, but not that all authority for life is found in this canon that we call the Bible. Our authority is not the Bible. Our authority is God, full stop. Let me see if I can wrap up these two ideas, inspiration and authority. The final authority in my life is God. At least my understanding of God, as limited and as broken as that is. When I read the Bible, I do it with the understanding that it's imperfect and that it's written by people that are like me, broken and have a limited understanding of God. But as I read it, God breathes life into his pages and life into me. And when that happens, I want that to be the filter through which I live my life. If I can throw in another metaphor here, when I read the Bible, it's like God is holding up a mirror to help me see my own brokenness, my own inadequacies, and my own need for Him. And in that, I am transformed. See, that changes how I read the Bible. It changes how I live my life. If all this leaves you with more questions than answers, and you want to dig deeper, can I suggest some reading for you? I'll put the links to these books um, below in the show notes, so you can check it out as well. Pete N.'s book, The Bible Tells Me So, is a great place to start. If you read it, you will notice that I have been deeply influenced and helped by Pete Enns and by that book. Rob Bell's book, What is the Bible, is a great book as well. It's written in the unique style that only Rob can write in, and it will challenge your thinking. It will challenge the way that you live your life. And the third book I would suggest is called Inspired by Rachel Held Evans. I was attracted to this book just because of the subtitle. It's Slaying Giants, Walking on Water, and Loving the Bible Again. It's her own journey of deconstruction and reconstruction when it comes to the Bible. It's a great read. 
One more thing before I sign off, I would love to hear from you about topics that you're uncertain about or about your own deconstruction and reconstruction stories and what has helped you along the way. You can find me hanging out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. The links are all on my website at skipcollins.com. You can connect with me there as well. We will see you next time. Have a great week. Shalom. Shalom.